Hi, my name is Isaac, lead pastor at New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. Well, this season of Advent is upon us. Advent is the four weeks leading up uh, to Christmas, where traditionally, historically, the the church has focused on the coming of Jesus and through reflection have prepared our hearts um, for Jesus and his coming. In Advent, we uh, celebrate the arrival of Jesus and also build hope for the future as Jesus will come again. Yeah. So today, the third week of Advent, we consider joy. Hmm. Joy. Well, Isaac Watts, I like his name, for starters. <laughs> Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World in 1712. He was reflecting on Psalm 98. And when he wrote this, uh, this Christmas carol that we are familiar with, he wasn't thinking of Christmas. He was actually thinking of what Revelation proclaims when God makes everything new. And that's why he was writing it. It was first a poem. It was 50 years later. It was put to music. And um, then it was used traditionally at the Christmas time because in the Christmas time, we anticipate Jesus coming and we anticipate a lot more. But verse 2, let's sing it. You want to sing it? Oh, Danya, my wife, wants to sing. So you guys can join. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders, wonders of his love. Ooh, we got a choir in the house today. It's sounding good. Well, I'd like to point out a couple of things. Jesus has defeated the powers of this fallen world. Somebody say amen. amen. Yeah. But upon his return, all will be vanquished. It says here, he makes the nations prove. Right now, are all the nations proving the glory of God? Are they all in step with him? Are they all walking in obedience to him? Is the world a shining example of God's glory? No, it's brokenness. But at the same time, is his glory here? Can we see his faithfulness? Absolutely. This is what theologians call the now, but not yet. Yes, it is now. And this, this hymn proclaims that there is future joy and there is present joy that we experience. We live in great expectation of what God will do while celebrating what he has done and what he is doing in the present. This is the life of the Christian. Joy. Joy is something we want. We desire joy. If there's something every human wants, it's joy. We want for, we hope for joy. Joy might be inadequately described as happiness, smiles, contentment, but it's not really definable in those terms. It's not just a little bit of happiness. Joy is not just a rational thing that we can control. There are moments that we feel joy, but it isn't a fleeting feeling. 
It's large. It's a sense of peace and a sense of hope that sustains us from breath to breath. This is maybe more adequate in our description of what joy is. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Surprised by Joy, he says this, joy is never in our power, and pleasure often is. He distinguishes pleasure, we often think, that's where joy is, what, it, what we can control, what we can get. But joy is something beyond our control. That's why seeing a sunrise or sunset, there's something that overcomes us. There's a joy burst as we rightly see. We're not the protagonist. That, that is the main character in this story. But rather, we are supporting character of this grand master who is doing far more than what we could ever imagine. I think joy comes. This is joy comes on the fresh realization of this reality of his majesty, his glory. Joy, maybe you've experienced it in a moment where you're pressed, but there's this awareness not all is lost. That is joy. Joy is when we are overlooked, we're discarded, we are in pain. But, but, we are not all gone. It's in having the wherewithal. Where did that come from to maintain? That's what joy is. Joy is not explainable. But joy is. We, I hope, know the moment of joy. Hmm. I think Scripture invites us into a vision for a life filled with joy. I think Scripture invites us into a life of continual joy. It can be hard to believe because we've attached pleasure and happiness to joy. We realize we cannot control things well enough to where all things go as they should go. Because your family is like mine, we together, we have conflict, anger bursts forth, hurt feelings abound. The effect of your own bad decisions or others' bad decisions, they press in on you. In our culture, the political turmoil just seems to flood our news streams all the time, coming into our phones, telling us all is lost. It deteriorates our sense of joy. The question we ask, if only if all was as it was supposed to be, then joy would come. But biblical joy is according to a different story, a better story, a deeper story. We live according to the way of Jesus, which confounds our preoccupations with present happiness. It's even more than just being able to endure pain. The Christian story embraces pain and suffering and believes that in all things our Savior is at work. Trust is the cornerstone to be able to experience joy. Where the writer of Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. We will not have joy if we do not have a deep abiding trust that God is making all things new. Joy is audacious, 
from a biblical sense. It's idealistic. But if we as followers of Jesus, who is preeminent, Scripture says, if we can't be idealistic, then who can? This is the ideal that we are being pulled up into. Joy in all things. The joy of the Lord, Scripture says, is our strength. Our trust in Him, this deep, abiding, secure trust that produces ongoing joy. Because again, you're not the main character of the story. I'm not the main character of the story. God is the main character, and we get to support and testify to His greatness. Amen. Mm. Well, the gospel invites us into this supernatural story, this coherent story that makes sense of both our pain and suffering and our anticipation for something much better. Every human being lives with that anticipation and that juxtaposition of realities that seem to not be able to be reconciled except for in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was a long sentence and I don't know if I could repeat it. Well, to get a sense of that, we go back to the announcement of Jesus' coming. And we see within the first announcement this template of joy. This pain and suffering and brokenness, and it's not what you and I would come up with, but thankfully it is not up to you and I. Hmm. So I'd like you to use your imaginations and go to the scene with me. You ready? A wide-angle camera takes us with a drone shot over the dark night of a Palestine wilderness. Stars light the sky, but down below was just darkness until we rush upon a little fire in the middle of nowhere. And around that fire are huddled lowly shepherds. Our camera comes to rest just feet outside their camp. You look around with me for the hero. You look for the mighty one that has been relegated but to what looks like a bag of, or band of vagabonds. But nothing of any significance is apparent. Now slowly zooming in, our boom microphone begins to capture their conversation. And you think perhaps there's some great philosopher in their midst and this is what this scene is all about. But no grand philosophy or wit is being shared. Rather, it is the base joking of men who've been away from civilization too much. <laughs> Hearing just the punchlines makes you realize you don't want to hear the setups. <laughs> Quickly, we lose interest in these seeming extras. Where's the protagonist? Where's the hero? We pan the camera away from the fire, hoping that this barren scene can be rescued by something nearby. And then we cut to another scene. Another wide-angle shot coming from beyond the atmosphere. The earth is in view, and it's getting bigger and bigger. In the periphery of the screen, we see glorious, bright, gloriously bright creatures streaming headfirst towards earth. And now as they enter into the atmosphere, clouds and fogs are illuminated briefly as this horde of heaven makes its way closer and closer. And now back to the campfire scene, and it's quiet. And... Our camera angle is just steep enough to see a bright 
light emerging from the darkness of the east. Still oblivious to the coming drama, the shepherds are beginning, they're beginning to nod off. But we see what is coming. A lump emerges in our throat as the wind begins to swirl and suddenly a powerful gust of the most holy wind snuffs out the fire and leaping up the shepherds panic, yelling, ducking now for cover. The distant light now traveling so fast it looks like a swirling globe of fire as it descends like a fireball right onto the scene. And suddenly the fireball stops and spreads out in every direction in the sky. Like an ignited dome above their heads, heavenly beings take up what all at once seem to be orderly positions across the sky and also chaotic because each being swirls with light, somersaulting in place, spinning and at attention. And none of the shepherds have seen this take place. Heads down. And all at once, the sky goes dark except for one being who slowly descends, stopping a mere 10 feet off the ground, flickering, glowing light emanates from nowhere and everywhere. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they, these shepherds, were terrified. But the angel reassured them. <laughs> Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Pause the movie. Pause the scene. And take in what the context is. Take note because he has just announced joy. Joy gets announced into our lives in surprising ways as well. This scene with shepherds, the Palestine wilderness, the announcement of a baby, a savior, frames God's great little plan. This is the template from which we can build our anticipations of joy. It's not what you and I would construct. We'll finish the announcement, but some four observations. If you're, if you're taking notes and you have to listen well, they're not on the screen. Some observations. They were terrified, these shepherds. This is where the announcement of joy came into. The announcement of joy came right into their fear. God's announcement of joy into your life will come right into where you are most fearful and afraid. Because that is the place, Mike mentioned it, of vulnerability that he wants to heal and where he wants his glory to come about. God doesn't just want to remove your fears, but actually your fear is the dramatic set upon which his glory and joy will be built and experienced in your life. Number two, 
The announcement of joy comes before they saw the evidence. There's this great announcement. The announcement of joy comes before the evidence. The announcement of God's joy in your life comes before you see all of the results or before you know totally the end of the story of how God is going to redeem the pain and the suffering and the trial in your life. The announcement comes first. And then we are invited to a relationship of trust. He has accomplished it already. We hear first, we believe, and walk in this good news long before we know it in in full. That is the habit of the Christ follower. Number three, the good news. I want you to see this. We're kind of used to the story if you've been around for uh, Christianity. But the story is the good news is so small. It's so surprising. It's a baby. We have a baby in our midst. This is the announcement of God's salvation. I imagine being one of the shepherds, you know. <laughs> Fear not, I bring you great news of great joy. It shall be for all people today in the city of Bethlehem. What? A baby. What? A baby? <laughs> Someone's like, how about you be the good news? <laughs> you seem really powerful. Excuse me, sir. Did you get the script wrong? (laughs) In a similar way, the good news of Jesus for your painful, broken life in which there is suffering seems too small. But this is the template for for the Christ follower. Forever and always, we will be invited into this upside down way of joy. It has never come as a result of powerful people, but rather it has always come as a result of God's power shown in the small, in the weak, in the lowly, the unpowerful, the marginalized. This is where God's glory is shown. And this is the whole story. We'll, we'll finish it out here in just a moment. And fourth, I want us to see the good news is a continuation of God's work within history. He says the Savior is going to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. These shepherds, um, being Jewish, would have recognized. They know who David was. They knew the Bethlehem. They knew what it was. Immediately, these shepherds would have recognized their hopes for the future were built upon by the work of God in the past. Always our present hopes are built upon the work that God has, do, has done in the past and gives us anticipation for what he will do and how he will do it in the future. God is always doing a new thing, but that new thing is always built upon the hope of the past. Every generation receives what the previous generation has cared for and has held, and we steward it now, and then we pass it on down to the next generation so they can continue to see the hope of God in the world. It is always built upon what he has done because he is the alpha, which is the beginning, and he is the omega, which is the end, and so we just steward it along the way. It's always built on that. If you want to know what God is up to, look in the past of what God has been doing. If you want to develop hope for the future, look back at God's faithfulness in the past. Now, let's go back to the scene. These other beings had obscured themselves. The other fireball beings now revealed themselves to the world at large. 
And suddenly, the one angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and, on, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Gloria. Yeah. <laughs> you were a better choir before. <clears throat> Singing. Burst forth. The sky illuminated with the glory of God, this announcement of joy. And these beings are giving God praise, better than the best military choir. Every intonation available as the world was filled with the singing of heaven. We don't know how long this concert lasted. We don't know how long the shepherds were drawn in. Maybe their singing was about as good as yours was a moment ago. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I think maybe you guys want to try again. Gloria. Man, you guys belong in the scene, I think. Good job. Our singing mirrors what is happening in heaven. Our singing mirrors what will happen for eternity. And the elders gathered around the throne, and day and night they are singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the infusion of God himself into the world, and the angels celebrated and gave God great praise. This God who has brought surprising joy. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God. For all they had heard and seen, it was just as the angel had told them. The beginning of Jesus' story is so amazing. But it also frames the context for the rest of the story of Jesus. This surprising way of joy. This good news. Follow me as I briefly describe how Jesus' beginning, small, inauspicious, crazy, cohere with the rest of his story and then that story, which is ours to live out. Upon his birth, Jesus suffered persecution. This is God's big little plan. 
Matthew tells us that geopolitical forces, namely King Herod, beyond Joseph and Mary's control, made them refugees in Egypt. Matthew tells us, now when they had gone, that was the wise men that had come to visit, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up, he took the child and his mother while it was still night, in the middle of the night, and they left for Egypt. Egypt, the historical enemy of the Jewish people. Now Egypt harbors the hope of the world because the Jewish king, Herod, had lost sight of how the world would be rescued. We don't have the specific accounts of this refugee family's experience in Egypt, but we can speculate that it did not seem that the Savior would emerge into being a Savior. Joseph and Mary, even Mary, who treasured these things in her heart, God, this is your plan, and now we're going to flee to Egypt until this persecution is over? We were late. God, this is your plan? Somehow this pain, this disruption, you're going to bring joy into my life? And then once Joseph and Mary returned, Jesus, this is years later, was brought and raised in Nazareth. We're used to that phrase. We understand Nazareth. That might even be a place if you were going to go visit Israel. I want to go to Nazareth to see it, to feel it, to be where Jesus was. But that was not the feeling at the time about Nazareth. It seemed to be the butt of a joke. It seemed to be the punchline. Philip has discovered who Jesus is, and he goes to invite Nathaniel. And Nathaniel says, this is in John 1, he said to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth. Philip said, well, come and see. Can anything good come out of there? That's a small town, nowhere town. Nobody from Nazareth is worth anything. Maybe if he would have said, let's go to see Jesus of Jerusalem, this big, powerful city, or Jesus of Rome, or something, Jesus of Athens, maybe Nathaniel would have been like, yes, that sounds great. Nazareth? Where's that? What good comes out of that? But remember the, remember the announcement. This is the announcement of joy for all people. The announcement was made to nobodies. The shepherds were nobodies. And now Jesus was being raised among nobodies in a nowhere town. Not just a humble beginning, as at some point that would be transcended according to the world's standards, and Jesus would descend upon the throne of Rome and say, I am now Caesar. No. But the humble beginning would be the humble path, which would end in the humble end. Humility is not just the beginning, it is the process, it is the pathway, it is the way of the Christ follower. It is what Jesus has done. We relate, you and I, we're nobodies who become somebodies in the kingdom of God through our humility. Unimpressed with where we are from, the pedigree that we come from, the blood of Jesus Christ poured out on the cross now brings us together and we are brought into oneness because of his work, not because of any of our impressive achievements in the world. 
And the boy Jesus grew, and he developed favor between, before God and man. He learned, but he remained in obscurity until his ministry began. He was 30 years old. I can imagine the shepherds like, man, I can't wait to see what that kid becomes. God's own son, this is miraculous. And maybe one of the shepherds went and visited. He got to say, where's that, where's that baby that was born? Just, we're speculating, obviously, for the sake of it. And they go to where Jesus was being raised, and they see him as a 13-year-old. My son is 13 right now, and his voice is lowering. They're like, oh, man, now Jesus has got his man voice. Do the impressive thing. Do it. You got testosterone. Raise an army. Let's go. And yet he remained in obscurity, doing the simple things of learning to be a carpenter. Although he showed his supernatural power, that he was God when he started his ministry, he didn't overcome the world with this supernatural power. The God, Jesus, turns water to wine. He raises the dead, but he does not draw upon that power to vanquish power in the way that we think, but rather he continued to descend, descend the steps towards the cross. And on the cross, this is what Colossians says, on the cross, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. When he was dying on the cross, his death on the cross, he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The beginning was humble. The beginning was small. The beginning felt so unpowerful. And as Jesus was pinned on the cross, the world held its breath and his followers wondered, will it really be true? But upon his death on the cross and then him being buried in the grave once again, he overcame on the third day and he vanquished the powers that have oppressed his people. He vanquishes the powers that oppress your life. Now in this room, there is neither. There is nothing that will keep you from the love of God that is in Christ because he has paid it all. He has done it all. And so in the name of Jesus, I speak to the spiritual powers that are oppressing your life right now and say, in the name of Jesus, you have no place. Be broken in the name of Jesus. The demon hordes that are oppressing your life are broken in the name of Jesus. This is the power paid for in humility. Jesus says that forceful men lay hold of the kingdom through faith, hope, and love. We sow these things, seeds. We sow these seeds of the kingdom. Small, so small, so little, so obscure, so unpowerful, but the kingdom grows, and the kingdom grows, and the kingdom grows. Jesus, the embodiment of God himself, allowing himself to be distorted, whipped, and abandoned by men so that all men may be found. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, Matthew 27 says, and the elders, they mocked Jesus. What good comes out of Nazareth? 
What makes you think? Who are you? He saved others. They scoffed. And they put down, referencing they saw that he did amazing miracle works. He saved others. They put down the very works of God and scoffing, but he can't save himself. So he's the king of Israel, is he? Mocked. The life of the Christ follower. Jesus says, you will suffer on my account. But do you see, the very place where he's being mocked and accused, made fun of, is the very place of redemption. Crucified, nails, blood, a crown of thorns, like a sheep led to slaughter, he went in innocence and willingness when the angel announced joy. This is what he had in mind. This is what God had in mind. That joy would come through the path of sacrifice and humility. That God would defeat the powers of darkness when he became the light of the world, lifted up on the cross. How good of God to provide such a visceral image of his son on the cross so that we might know of his saving love that will never leave our minds. Lifted up, killed, put in the grave so that God's conquering power wouldn't be shown against just a political enemy or a perverted religious system, but so that his conquering power would be shown against the enemy of our souls Satan himself and death itself. When we begin to comprehend this gospel story, this truth, it all comes into view. Nothing is lost on God. Nothing is irrevocably broken. It is all being used to make everything new again. If God can use and redeem terrible things like crosses and icky power systems, small beginnings, persecution, if he can use those things to bring about joy, can't he use all of the pain of life to do the same? Can't he redeem? Can't where Romans says, that God is working all things together for the good. This is the creative power of God. That's not just a fanciful wish. That is based directly out of our comprehension that God took the brokenness of the world, turned it on its head, redeemed it, and now frees us. The writer of Hebrews says, and this is where it begins to make sense. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here it is, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has now sat down at the right hand at the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We do not 
overcome because we feel like it once again or because we get a little reprieve from whatever suffering that we are in. We gain reprieve from looking on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who endured that because of the joy set before him. Despising the shame. Hmm. Today, in Advent, let's be people of joy. Joy that comes from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We serve a God who is making all things new. He said it. He did it. It's ours to believe and walk out. He gave up his son to bring joy. Nothing can stop that. He who gave everything. Few thoughts of application. An interesting one for the Advent season, I think. Take communion with friends or family this week and talk about joy. Talk about the joy that comes as you eat of that bread, Jesus' body being broken. As you drink of that cup, his blood being poured out. And remember the lengths that he went to as he showed us the way of joy. Secondly, I think this is something all of us, particularly in our Western context where we're pain averse, Ask if your joy is circumstantial. Are you experiencing joy only when all things are right and everybody's finally getting along? Because nobody's actually talking about the conflict, which is real, which is the way that most Americans do it. We passively, aggressively hope that we can codependently experience a moment of joy because nobody's really talking about the truth. The gospel shatters that, by the way, and we talk about the truth because truth and love comes in and makes us be able to be mended to one another. That's the gospel. But if it's just circumstantial and everybody's getting along, that's not real joy. That is faked happiness. The third application, we want all to know this truth. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We want more people to know this. And at Christmas Eve, the gospel will be proclaimed again as it always is here. Bring somebody to Christmas Eve. <sighs> as we conclude today... I came across verses five and six of the classic Christmas carol, We Three Kings. And verses five and six, which this song is not often sung, you may not even know it anymore, but are full of some powerful perspective on the kind of joy that comes through a sacrificial king. <clears throat> Myrrh is sung about. Myrrh, one of the gifts brought to baby Jesus by the wise men, was a burial ointment. <laughs> Welcome to the world. Here's some embalming fluid. <laughs> <laughs> These wise men gave a gift that represents ultimately where the joy would come from his death. If you'd like to sing, sing with me. Myrrh is mine, it's bitter perfume, breathes a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. Oh, 
Star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. And verse 6, the tomb was not the end. Glorious now, behold him arise, King and God and sacrifice. Hallelujah, hallelujah, heaven to earth replies. Oh, star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. May we be those who experience joy because of death, because of resurrection, because the gospel, which proved to be true, continues to be true in all of our lives. Imagine how we can be a part of changing the world because we trust the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, your creative, masterful ways is more than what we could ever think, ask, or imagine. I pray that we might be known as those who trust you to take the pain of our lives and redeem it into beautiful stories of your faithfulness. To shepherds it was announced, may we be willing to receive the audacious announcement of your joy into our lives. Lord, as we reflect on Mary and Joseph carrying what seems so fragile, walking through the challenges that arose, the bizarre ways in which you worked all this out, may we be like Mary and Joseph, trusting you through the zigs and the zags, the strange pathways that bring disruption and pain and discomfort. May we carry this hope as they did. Lord, those, those disciples that were called by Jesus, they followed and they went. May we be those that follow. We don't even know how it all ends, but may we be like those. Those early disciples at the time of the church forming, were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were given courage to walk out this gospel and face a persecution and suffering. May that be us, filled with your spirit, full of your love, walking into wherever you call us to so that your gospel can go forth the hope of the world. This Christmas time, help us to cast aside such shallow announcements of joy which are more about happiness and pretending. And may we receive real and deep joy based upon truth, the truth, Jesus, of who you are and how we are to live. With all heads bowed and eyes closed in here, 
if you here this morning are ready for maybe the first time in your life, or maybe it's the first time in a long time, to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, would you lift your hand right where you are? Put the hand up where I can see it. Yes, sir, I see your hand and yours and yours as well. Yes, and I see yours and I see yours. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I see yours in the back. And yes, people in this room that are saying they want to follow Jesus, let's pray out loud with all of these people as they make this decision. Dear God, you sent your son as a gift. He went to the cross as a gift to pay for my sins and the sins of the world. I believe that. I need that. Forgiveness and hope. Thank you for bringing both through your Son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me. I need you every day. I need you. Thank you for your gifts. Amen. Can we celebrate with some people who are saying yes to Jesus this morning?